0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Um, Josh and I are going to team-teach this morning. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about uh, the series we've been talking about this summer. Really, what does it mean to live a life of, the, of a disciple, uh, a disciple-making life, um, which really kind of gets at the root of who we are as followers of Jesus. Um, that's who we God's called us to be. And so, if you missed it a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, the first... Uh, time we started this series, we talked about um, just uh, the importance of living within God's story, having really scriptures as our, as our only foundation, not seeing scripture as just another thing or another book or just some philosophies to think about, but actually God's words um, that have authority in your life and have authority in this world. Uh, and then last week, Brad and I talked about the gospel and how that's really just a, a deep well of, uh, that gives us power, um, both in the past, in the present, and in the future, and enables to, us to really walk this life of a disciple, walk, really, in the purpose that God's given us, really, to image him to the world around us. And so today, um, Josh and I are going to talk about identity. I know identity is kind of one of these buzzwords now, at least in our culture. When I was a kid, um, I don't think I ever heard the word identity, maybe, um, <laughs> But uh, growing up in kind of Christian circles, we used the word worth instead of identity. People would ask, what do you find your worth in? Or what do you find your, what do you think gives you value? And so as I was thinking about that this morning, I wanted to just kind of start with maybe a question to kind of help get our brains and hearts moving towards this direction. As you think about that, what are some things that people in our culture find their identity or their worth in or their value in? Uh, right now? What are, what are some things that our culture or people, uh, maybe even you, um, find your identity in um, that you find your worth in? What are some things? Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, how many people are following you? So yeah, <laughs> I do have an Instagram account, but I've never posted anything on there, um, but I have like a hundred and some followers. I don't even know how. Um, <laughs> But Jessica has posted once on my Instagram, like, some picture from Christmas with, like, I don't know. And so, like, a lot of people liked it, I guess. I don't know. But some people find their worth in that, I guess. I personally don't. But yes. What else? Jobs. Jobs. Yeah, our careers. Yeah, what, what we do in life, we find our worth or value in. Yeah, good. What else? Athleticism. Athleticism. Yeah. I've found my value in that many times. Yeah. Like, how well... You can beat someone else up on the court or on a bike or in a race or whatever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. Successful children. children. Yeah, for sure. Your kids, or even if they're not successful, right, like we find our value and our worth in our kids often as parents or how well we're doing with them. Someone else said something over here. I can't remember. Other Other people's opinions. Yeah, what people say about us. We, we've, we define our lives on those things. We face our worth and our value in what people say about us. Yeah, good. What else? Someone's hobbies and passions. Yeah, your hobbies or passions, whatever you enjoy, the things that you, you like to do or create or whatever, we find our value in those things. Yeah, good. What else? Have we, said money yet? we haven't said money yet, but that's a big one, right? Like your financial status. What you can afford to buy gives you value in our culture. Yeah. What else? Where, from. Where you're from, your family heritage, whether good or bad, you find value in that. Yeah, Steve.
1: Um, being productive and that you actually contributed something to, you know, planet Earth as a carbon unit.
0: And- yeah, being productive, right, or, or like doing things. Yeah, accomplishing something. I can find my value in that often. Yeah. Your race. Yeah, your race or even your gender, right? Our our culture often says, you know, your race or your gender gives you identity. Yeah, good. What else? Marriage. Your marriage. Yeah, yeah. Whether you can find a partner or not find a partner, whether you want one or want to get rid of the one you have, right? <laughs> like, we find our value in those things. Yeah, yeah. Someone said sexuality under their, their breath, right? But that's. Um, but it's so obvious right like our culture defines our value on who we sleep with how silly is that right Uh, what's that
1: Uh, yeah
0: yeah who you think is the right one to follow yeah good Yeah. yeah yeah for sure i think you know we can continue to go on but i think like there are so many things that humans find their identity in. but I want to say this morning that those are all fake IDs. Like, I never had a fake ID uh, as a kid, but I knew others that had, and I just went alongside theirs. It's shocking, I know. Um, somehow I just knew the other people, and I got in anyway, right? Um, that's a whole other story, um, which we're not going to talk about anymore because that's what I used to find my identity in, but we're not talking about that this morning. Um, But I want to say, none of those things are originally what God designed you to find your value in. Um, And the good news of the gospel is that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has remade you. You are a new creation. Um, You've been restored. You've been given a new identity. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. As we think about that, I want to say that this idea of a new identity is so important for us to understand. Because it's out of that, out of out of who we actually are, we then live. That that the things that we do come out of our being, not the other way around. We're not valuable or significant based on what we do. It's rather on who we are. So it's our being that leads to our identity. Who, we, who Christ has actually recreated us to be. How we've been recreated in Christ. That when, we, that when we actually see our need for Jesus and we place our trust in him and what he's done, rather than any of the things that we want to do or any of the things that we want to find our value in, He changes the very essence of who we are, the very internal essence of who we are. He changes our identity, and then out of that identity, it changes our actions. It changes who we are and how we live because we're motivated differently. We're motivated differently now because we're actually different people. We're new in Christ, is what this verse is talking about. And then what we do becomes a reflection of that if we're actually living in our gospel identity. If you... If you read the New Testament and you read through the epistles where Paul writes to to churches like you and I, um, what he does, he writes to them because oftentimes there's things that are going on in those churches that are a mess. People are living the wrong way. They're doing certain things. And he doesn't just write them and say, stop doing this. Like, start doing these other things. What he does, if you read them, is he actually reminds them of the gospel first. He reminds them of, of who they are and what God has done. And he reminds them of what, what's true of them in Christ. He reminds them of their identity. And then he says, based on that identity, based on that new gospel identity, now go and live in these ways. Go and live as a reflection of who this is, who you truly are. And so, this morning, we want to kind of just start with a, with a very familiar passage um, in Matthew 28. It's, it's the, the commission that Jesus gave his followers, to his final instructions, if you want to say it that way, to his people, to the church. And, and in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, he says this. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So that's what we're doing, right? We're, 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 making, we're talking about a disciple-making life. So, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so, as Jesus gives us this commission as the church, what, what he's saying is what that journey of restoration looks like. It looks like humans now walking, being baptized into the identity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so making disciples is what we do, but but what we are is we're baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As you think about a disciple, a disciple is someone who is actually committed to becoming like the person that they follow. And so when Jesus says, make disciples here, what Jesus is saying is that, that he's looking for people who who would say, I love Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to live Jesus' life. I want to to say what Jesus would say. I want to learn what Jesus taught. My whole life now is about Jesus. That's really what a gospel-centered disciple would look like. One whose whole life is is immersed into the Trinity, who's baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, um, that's your new identity now. And it's Trinitarian in nature. Um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you haven't got that, I've said that like six times, maybe more. Um, But that's your new identity now. And making disciples then becomes our purpose out of that identity. And so as we think about that, um, uh, one last thing before we jump into this. The, the really good news at the end of that passage is that Jesus reminds us, because he finishes this statement, that as he sends us out, he gives us this good news. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. And so what that means is, as we go out and live in our identity, he says, I am going with you. You don't have to go out and try to do these things in your own strength, in your own power, or try to find value in those things, or, or, or get all stressed out or burned out about them. He says, I am going with you. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news to me. Because when we try to do it on our own, we just end up struggling to image God that we can't do. There's no way that we can image a God that is so different and so holy and so completely uh, amazing by ourselves. And so God sings. He is going with us. He gives us his spirit to go with us, to equip us, to help us walk in this new identity. And so this morning we want to talk about just really three specific identities that come out of our trinitarian understanding and our trinitarian identity some of you have heard these before if you ever look forward you may see them on a sign up here um, but we want to talk about them again this morning to remind you um, really if you want to say it this way there are there are gospel dna um, it's who we are and we're going to kind of use this simple diagram you can put the first slide up there with the diagram and uh, with this triangle um, and we're going to think about the triangle is usually a A diagram for the Trinity. And so if a disciple is in the middle, um, we want to talk about what it looks like to live in the identity of a Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so Josh is going to get started talking about the Father and how we we walk in that identity.
1: Yeah, so I'm super excited to get to preach about this uh, with Tripp because this understanding uh, this um, has been incredibly formative and transformative in my own life. And it's actually kind of what attracted me to SOMA to begin with. Um, And it, yeah, it really changed me coming into realizing this, like being before doing kind of stuff. And as I was preparing for this uh, and looking over Matthew 28, uh, Jesus commands us to uh, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd never really thought about that. Like, why? why does he have us baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Like, why not just in the name of Jesus and what he's done for you? Like, I baptize you. But specifically, name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And in and, and meditating on it and talking with Tripp, uh, we were created in God's image. Like, Tripp said, we're called to image God. We were created in his image. Um, and we rebelled and turned away and fractured that image. We don't image God correctly anymore because we've chosen self over God. And so, as Tripp was saying, like, when we get baptized, when we come to faith in Jesus and we're baptized, we're being baptized into our new Identity, a new restored identity, right? And God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we're going to reflect those three elements, those three aspects of who God is. And so when Jesus has us baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that's saying three different things about who we are, the core foundational elements of who we are in our identity. Um, And so I'm going to read for us... uh, um, well, first of all, we'll say, if, if we're baptized in the name of the Father, what does that make all of us? Children. Yeah, ch- sons. Well, not, not all sons. Come on. Um, and daughters. Yeah. And daughters. Uh, yeah, it makes us all children of God. And, and, and if God is our Father, we're all children. Then That makes us family, right? Uh, Romans 8.15 says, and listen, this is God's Word. This is not just me talking. Um, I don't know. Do you zone out? Some people zone out when Scripture starts getting read. I do that sometimes. That's not, that's not good. Um, because this is powerful, and it's God's Word. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're adopted into the family of God. And then John one twelve, Jesus tells us, Um, But all who did receive him, him being Jesus, uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. So if you have received him, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are now an adopted son or daughter, and the creator of all things is your dad, right? Right? And we're, when we're a family, that makes all of us family, like actually family, like blood relatives. Jesus, even whenever, uh, there's, a, there's a passage, I, don't, I can't remember the scripture, I'm just now thinking of it, uh, whenever uh, they said Jesus's Jesus' mother is coming up, tell, telling them to do something and they say, oh, your mother wants you, and he says, who is my mother, who is my brothers? Um, um, it's those who, who do the will of God. He's saying that this spiritual reality of being a family, like, that actually, for Jesus, trumps like, biological relatives. That's crazy. Like, in a sense. And that's not to say we forget our biological relatives by any means. But he's saying this is a, a reality of who we are. Um, so why is it so important that we come to understand um, this, this part of our identity? Well, the reality is that being a part of the family of God is so foundational. Um, because God has chosen to redeem and restore this world. Um through his family, the church, right? That's why we've, we've got to realize who we are because God is inviting us to partner with him in this um, redemption, this restoration mission. Um, this concept of family isn't new. Like, it's not just a New Testament thing even. Like, you know, Paul calling us brothers and sisters and Jesus talking about family in this way. This thread of family runs throughout the whole Bible, um, Yeah, in in Genesis chapter 12, God actually initiates his entire redemptive plan for humanity uh, by uh, choosing a family, by choosing Abraham and um, telling him that your family is going to be a blessing uh, to all the nations, right? Um, This starts in Genesis and makes its way throughout the entire Bible to Revelation. This promise... Uh, that, that Abraham's family will be a blessing to all nations, finds its climax 2,000 years later. And God's timeline is not ours. Um, this promise finds its uh, climax 2,000 years later in, uh, in the form of a carpenter named Jesus, um, the God-man who came to uh, redeem our fractured identity uh, and restore our relationship with God. And it's in the context of this restored relationship with God, it's in the context of... Actually being a family that God calls us to partner with him to redeem and restore uh, not just all things, right? That's a big thing, but our marriages and our schools, our relationships, our city, right? Like God is inviting us to live his family, to work in his redemption uh, mission for, um, for the world. So as the church, as disciples of Jesus, we are a family and we're called to live that way. And that's... Uh, really high calling. Like, it sounds really nice, like when we're talking about it up here, um, but then you get down into it and realize, oh, wait, living as a family is really difficult. Like, how many of us have just, like, completely just smooth sailing with our biological family? Never any bumps. It's always been happy. It's always been great. If anyone raised your hand, I'm going to call you a liar. Um, it's, it, it's difficult. Why? Because we, we're, we're sinful, Right? And when we get close to each other, we hurt one another, and we get hurt by one another. And, um, and unfortunately, this is why many uh, Christians give up on living as family. Um, and this is why many Christians never even attempt actually living as family. So what, what, are, what are the consequences if we do not realize our identity, if we don't live into this identity as family? What are the consequences? Anyone can answer if we don't live as family, as the church. Then the world won't see the love we have for each other. Yeah. They know our testimony. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, for time's sake, I'm just going to move it along, because that's exactly what I have on my notes. Good job, Josh. <laughs> you know what? You get a ring pop. Man, I want a ring pop. You never know which you're going to get if you pay attention.
0: You're going to start you answering faster more,
1: so. now. All right. I don't. In John 13, 35, that's exactly right. What are the consequences if we don't live as family? Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. If we're not living as family, the world can't distinguish what a disciple of Jesus looks like apart from a disciple of any other faith or religion that preaches love without providing the power to actually live it out. Mm. Jesus is saying here that you can pick my disciples out of the crowd because of the radical love they have for one another. We have got to realize our identity as a family. I had a friend in college uh, named Leo. He is German. Uh, he's very handsome. He played, he's very charismatic. He like, you know, he liked really good with the ladies and stuff. I was always talking like this, and people were intrigued by his cool accent and stuff. He, uh, he, he and I became friends. Um, we didn't have like virtually nothing in common except for we worked out about the same time every day. Um, but we, we became friends in the gym and, uh, as we would get to talking about life and stuff, I would have the opportunity and bring up my faith and start talking about Jesus. And he kind of had it all like, like he was like a handsome guy, like on scholarship, came from money, all these kind of things. Um, he wasn't interested at first, but as he began to see, um, something different in my life, he began to. Wonder about that and want that. It led to some really amazing conversations that he and I uh, started having. And eventually we became roommates. Um, and I, we would stay up late talking, getting deep into the gospel. And it was incredible. Um, but throughout all these gospel conversations that I would have with him sharing, him, sharing with him the truth of Jesus and what he's done for him and what that means for his life, he was interested. But there was always, like, something like blocking, uh, something stopping him from, like, going all the way with this the whole this Jesus thing, right? Um, and eventually, uh, I convinced him, because we're friends, and I was like, you should come hang out with my church. Come to our uh, Sunday gatherings with me. And so he starts coming to our Sunday gatherings and to our, uh, what are called community groups at um, the church we came from. Um, he started coming, and within a few months of coming, and I'll never forget this, uh, after one of our Sunday gatherings, he came up to me and he said, uh, you know, if, if churches were like this everywhere, everyone would want to go to church all the time. And I was like, "Yeah," and in the case my accent made you miss that, my bad German accent. He said, "If everyone was like this, every church was like this. Everyone would want to go to church all the time, right?" Within a few months of that, uh, Leo calls me and asks if he can pick me up from the movie. I was watching Interstellar. It's a great movie. Loved it. He picked me up from the movie. And I was wondering, why why did he call to ask to pick me up from this movie? And then he, he, as I climb into his car, he he proceeds to tell me, like, he's decided to give his entire life to Jesus the night before God. He he encountered God in the shower. Um, Super incredible. And he said, I'm changed. Like, something is different in me. I can't explain it. And I'm just, like, crying. It's amazing. You see, I had so many gospel conversations with Leo. Um, But what Leo needed was to see the gospel lived out in community. right? He needed to see how we loved each other. He needed to see how we forgave one another and how we served one another in community. He needed to witness the family of God before he was willing to step out into this. That's when he saw, this is real. How, how knowing Jesus reorients our entire life. And that made him go, I need this, I want this. And now Leo is a part of the family of God because he witnessed the family of God living in their gospel identity. So with that, I'll give it over to Trip.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good, is this idea that the only way that, that the world is going to see restoration is when broken people are actually restored to one another when they shouldn't be. And so as we live as a family with one another, we get to image that peace of God. Um, so I want to talk about the next one. How do, how do we live in the image of the Son? Um, and I want to just read from Philippians 2 um, first. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read uh, these verses because I want to remind you of a couple of things. The first is this. I want to remind you that Jesus is King. There is no other King. There is no other authority in the universe. He is above all. And when He came to the earth as King... Um, He took on our form. Verse 7 said, He emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Jesus took on human form, the form of a servant. And although Jesus took on our form as humans, as servants, Jesus is still the King. And so it's not that we just follow Jesus' example. It's actually that He is Lord and King. And we are his subjects, we are his servants. We've been saved back into the identity of a servant. So that with this idea that we, we don't just go and serve, but that we are actually servants. That serving is not something that we we just go do a service project or something that we do. It's actually who we are in, in Christ. It's our identity. As you think about As you think about this idea of a servant, what are are some things, what are some ways um, that a servant uh, lives or or, or a servant does? What are, are, as you think about servant, what what are some things you think about your mind runs to when you think about a servant? Things that the the servant would do or or ways that servant would live? Puts Puts others before themselves. There's a position of a servant. Yeah, right, how they present themselves. Seeing others as more significant. Yeah, good, what else? Attentive to the need of, of others. It's not just let me bend over and help you. It's actually being attentive to others around you. Yeah, good. What else? Sacrificing their own wants and needs for others. Yeah. Sacrificing their own wants and needs for the needs of others, people that they're serving. Yeah, good. What else? Stay the they stay in the background? Yeah. They, they stay in the background and make sure that the one that they're serving is seen. Yeah, good. They're humble. They're humble, Yeah. Servants are humble people. They're they're not people of entitlement. They help others accomplish what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have their their task is to make sure that the, the the master gets done what he wants to be done. Yeah, good. What else? Not like they're not surprised when people treat them like servants. Yeah. Yeah, they know that's who they are. They're not looking for some identity somewhere else. Yeah. They're going to take it seriously so they'll be proactive. Okay. But think about how can I better serve those I'm supposed to be serving rather than reacting. Yeah, servants are continually looking to serve those the master. Yeah. Uh they're tolerant of mistreatment they receive from others. Yeah. They're they're tolerant of the way others treat them because they know their position and how and who they are. Yeah, good. What else? things that servants do or the way that they live. They're
1: gratified by their service. They have to be. They go nuts. Yeah. If living for someone else constantly and not getting any type of like strokes for it, eventually you're going to be bitter unless you love the service that you're providing yeah. and the person you're providing it to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> A true servant really loves the master and loves to walk in what they're called to do. Yeah. I want to say this: If if servants is, is how God created us, and if we're going to image the world and we're going to show the world what really a, pu- a pre-fall human looks like, it, the world is going to see need to see. Our culture is going to need to see servanthood, right? If if we exist to show the world what the Father's like, uh, not for our glory but for His, then when we walk around as His disciples, people should say. God must be super humble and he must be a servant. I want to say, in Christ, that's who you and I are. It says we should have the same attitude as Christ. That's what scripture says. Attitude is really really a heart issue. It's the idea that that our identity starts in our hearts. Believing what God has said is true. And that changes our identity. And changes us really back into the way that he originally designed us to be and to live. I think the problem is, if you look through the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of humanity, it's about actually trying to be higher than God. We tried to move from the position of a servant to the position of authority, to the position of control. And as you look throughout all humanity, um, that hasn't worked out so good. It hasn't worked out so well. Because I think really we, we forget that this is true of us that we exist to bring glory to God. So instead of waking up every morning and saying, how can I live my life so that others will see God today? We get up and we roll out into our life for our plan, for our glory, for our stuff, and we live in a delusion that we are the authority rather than the servant. I want to remind us that this is who God has remade us to be, to be servants. And really, in in the servant's in the service of Jesus, your credentials are meaningless. It doesn't matter where you went to school, what job you hold, what you have done, what you can accomplish today. Um, and the only credential that really truly matters is that you and I are bond servants of Jesus. And we're called to image him in whatever area or walk of life that he's placed you in. That as servants of the King, we, we now get to live in a new way. We don't have to. We actually get to live in a new way since we've been served by God through His Son. We now get to live as servants out of the love and gratitude really being our motive because He has loved and served us. We now have been changed and we love and serve others. And so as, as we think about our Trinitarian understanding, we've been baptized into the Son. We're now servants, and so we live out the identity
1: of a servant. So, we're baptized in the name of the Father. That makes us family. We're baptized in the name of the Son. Jesus is our King, and we're His servants. And as He served, we serve. And lastly, we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 in Acts 1-8, Jesus tells us, uh, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uh, to the ends, of the ends of the earth. And he tells us in John 20-21, Just as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Uh, or as uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon puts it, um, Christians are either missionaries or they're imposters. Okay, that's that's. uh, All right. First of all, what what do you guys think of when you hear the word missionary? I'm curious. What what images come into your head? What do you think of when you hear the word missionary? Let's open that up for a second.
0: Um, A a stock photo of a man in a low-income African country being the only person in the image wearing clean clothes.
1: Yeah. That is oddly specific and very true. (laughs) What? The movie The Mission. I haven't seen that. (laughs) It sounds like it's talking about a missionary. (laughs) Uh, I think that recent movie about missionaries in Japan. I forgot the name of it. So it makes you think of movies. Silence. Silence? Is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scorsese? Yeah. Just brutal and like long years of toil with no payoff. (laughs) Only to get smashed in the end. Wow. But your entire life is this like glorifying signpost for God that's like, who wants to do that? Yeah. Okay. Very honest, very good. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What what uh, what else? uh, What what do you guys? What do images come in your head? What do you think of?
0: I think of somebody like Saint Patrick, who would go, who travels to you know spread the word of the gospel without like a bias towards certain people. Hmm. You know, seeing people, I guess, in the way uh, God would see them as all kind of like you know divine creations that need to hear the gospel because in saint patrick's time there were feuds between catholics and protestants everywhere but he he did not comply to any of those labels Mm. he didn't teach as a catholic or a protestant he was just he just wanted to teach the gospel he wanted Mm. to show people jesus not all these silly identifications
1: yeah yeah you think of crossing cultures and um kind of removing those cultural boundaries and saying just whoever you are i'm going to preach to you uh yeah, okay, that's good. Someone who's humble, willing to learn. Um, definitely. As a person
0: that broke as a missionary, in Eastern Europe, up, there are some better images that
1: come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but there's a tendency of a lot of MKs that talk to me to think
0: of missions overseas as kind of the highest calling yeah. The a
1: Christian. Like, oh, if you're not overseas, then, like, what are you doing? Are you going to serve Christ? And I know that's kind yeah. of a price. I still
0: yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you're not over there, then you're not a real missionary. You're just kind of a, you're faking it here.
1: Yeah, I mm. can, I can echo that. That's how I, that's how I felt for a long time. I tended to think, of, uh, tended to think of missionaries as like those like Navy SEAL Christians, like, like, first in, first out. That doesn't really apply. But you know, like they're the ones. They're the super Christians who like gave up everything and they're crossing cultures and they're, um, they're going. Uh, specifically overseas, like, makes you a missionary. I don't know if you go to Canada, if that even counts. Um, that's, that's what I thought. And I remember in college asking God, like, uh, praying and asking God, are you calling me to be a missionary, right? And um, I hadn't yet read that Spurgeon quote, so, you know. Uh, well, now, now I have come to understand, of course, yes, he was calling me to be a missionary because I'm a Christian, like, he's calling every single one of us to be a missionary. The qualification for being a missionary is not going overseas. It's receiving the Holy Spirit. And if you have become a disciple of Jesus and received the Spirit of God, you are a missionary. We're all missionaries. Sent to, sent, Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What did Jesus, what was he sent here to do? Proclaim the kingdom, pro, pro, proclaim the good news of the kingdom, Right? And so we're called to be sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Look, if we're just doing these first two things, if we're just loving His family and we're just serving and we're not proclaiming the good news of the gospel, we're not on His mission. And in fact, we're actually robbing Jesus of His glory. Because we're loving and serving people and they're thinking, wow, look at those people. They're, they're good people, right? We have to say, no, 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 we're not. It's Jesus, what he's done in and through us. That's why we're loving and serving. That's why we live as family. That's why we go and serve the least of these. Because of what Jesus has done for us, right? Let us not rob Jesus of his glory by failing to proclaim the good news of why we're doing it. There is no power to save in just loving and serving. The power to save is in the gospel and in the Holy Spirit that empowers each of us to preach it. There's a quote some of you may have heard um, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. It sounds nice, totally unbiblical. (laughs) It's not, it's not as garbage. Like, it is always necessary to use words. Because loving and serving other people isn't the gospel. It's living in light of your identity. Right? It's living out what the gospel has done, what Jesus has done for you, but proclaiming the gospel is the gospel right we have to there's no power to save in loving and serving um i think there's this idea uh i've heard a lot like just kind of you know build a relationship with somebody um, and and then kind of wait for them to ask you about it um the reality is is often the the most effective and best place to share the gospel is in the context of a relationship with trust right but that's not our calling, is to wait for people to ask. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul had waited for people to ask him or for him to build relationships with everyone before he preached the gospel? We wouldn't have the New Testament, right? We're called to proclaim the good news of Jesus because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And I know a lot of times this, this part of it, like proclaiming the gospel, um, can be very intimidating for a lot of us. Like what if I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not eloquent with my words or I, you know... I don't know it well enough to really, to really speak it into someone's life. Or what if I don't have... What if they ask a question and I, and I don't know the answer to it? You know? Well, I have good news for all of those trepidations. It is not up to you or me to save anyone. We don't have to preach a perfect gospel. Jesus sent us out as witnesses. Right? So witness. What has Jesus done in your life? Bring it up. Like, talk about Jesus... Let it be normal. I think the reality is, is is we talk about what we love, all right? We talk about what we love. If, if you love Avengers Endgame, you're going to talk about it, right? And a good, a good uh, um, way to measure what you're really loving in your life is, is how much do you talk about it. How much do I talk about Jesus versus how much I talk about the latest big movie that's out, right? Um. Yeah, and it's also not weird to talk about something that you love, no matter if the thing is weird. Like like this whole, like, believing that a Jewish man 2,000 years ago came and was crucified and that absolves you of your sins, that's crazy. That's kind of weird. Like, it's true. I believe it's true with all my heart. It is kind of weird. But you know what? When you're passionate about something and excited about something and you're talking about it, it's not weird to other people. Like uh, a friend of mine, Winston, he explained to me and like, great detail his personal uh, what would you how would you call it uh, his his campaign uh, his self created dungeons and dragons campaign uh, for like an hour he explained it to me, and it was amazing like I have never played Dungeons & Dragons. I don't care anything about Dungeons & Dragons. But as he was talking about it, he was passionate about it. He was excited about it. And, and that, like, spread over to me. And I was like, yeah, i got to play this. This is awesome. You know? And now I'm talking to you guys about it. You know? It spread. Just he was passionate about it. Right? Like, when you're excited about something and you're passionate, and if that's Jesus, like, like people, and especially... If you're living in these other two identities, if you are loving humbly, and you're, you're loving and serving humbly, as we talk about Jesus, as we come, become known as the people who are going to talk about Jesus, it's not weird, or maybe it's a little weird, but it's also kind of endearing. Like I think of Daniel at Trader Joe's, like always looking for an excuse to bring up Jesus, and then all of a sudden when people are at their lowest, they look to that person who's been loving and serving and always talking about the hope that they have in Jesus, right? Right? Just witness to what God has done in your life. That's, you, have the, you don't have to worry about spe- like the, the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. He can speak through you. You don't have to have all your words together. So we're missionaries called to proclaim the good news. So let's go live in light of our identity that displays the good news. And let's not rob Jesus of his glory by f- failing to tell people the good news.
0: Yeah, I think it's really good news. that We kind of started there in Matthew, right? Where... God says he goes with us. As the Spirit goes with us, he helps us, enables us to walk in the identity that he's changed us into. And so as a family, we get to love and care for one another. As, as servants, we get to, to serve the family, but also serve those that, that, that don't yet know Jesus. And as missionaries, we proclaim those things in the power of the Spirit, and we live out the good news of those things in everyday life. And so I think as we think through those things, there are so many things in this life, we we said in the beginning, that we we falsely find our identity in. And I want to just kind of remind you with some good news as we wrap up here. In Hebrews uh, 4.15, it reminds us that when we are confronted with our need, when we really... Realize the depth of our problem. Um, Really, our rebellion is not living in our identity. It's really, rebellion is really living in a false identity. And when we understand that, when we call out to God for mercy, and when we we get to actually go to Him in confidence, because it says this we draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to say this is not just for your salvation. God calls us to, and we'll be first, the very first moment we understand our need for Him, He calls it to us. But this is also for our sanctification process. The ongoing process of God molding us back into the image of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit every day. And so we get to, with, with confidence, go and draw near to the throne of grace. Because God has been merciful to us. God has been gracious to you. God has made you and me brothers and sisters, part of his family, adopted into his family with all of the benefits of having God as our Father. That's amazing. He's made you and me his servants, servants of the King. He's made us missionaries, really part of his restorative plan for the world. And the good news is that you and I don't have to go out and try to perform or do acts of service to make up for the mess of our rebellion. You don't have to perform or earn anything. God has already given you mercy. He's already been gracious to you. You've been given unmerited favor, unmerited um, nothing that you deserved. We didn't do any, not Nothing we do gives us anything. But God, in His graciousness and His mercy, has changed our hearts. He's given us a new identity. And we get to be a part of His amazing kingdom now on this earth that's unlike any other kingdom, unlike any other um, ruler, and any other society where we're completely loved and we're completely accepted in Christ. I want to close with this reminder from Romans Romans 12, 1. And this is just really a reminder that, that um, what our response to what He's done for us is this. And I'm just going to read this as, uh, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, to live in our true identity is to worship. Worship is not just singing. Worship is, is an act of everything we do in life. And so as we worship, the question becomes for us, what identity are we going to walk in? Where is your worship directed? It's either going to be towards yourself, an identity you want to live in, or towards God and what we're going to worship Him. So, either going to worship self or worship God. And remind us as a family, encourage us that God has restored us back into His image where we once again get to worship Him truly for who He is. Truly for who He is. And so I want to close in prayer and just as we think about these things and and remind you um, to worship God in every moment of the day as you live truly in a new gospel identity that He has changed us and made us to be, that we get to now live in an abundant good life that's better than any identity that we would try to find our hope in. Because I don't know about you, but I've tried to place my hope in many other things, and they come to an end somewhere. You might not be at that end yet, but anything you try to place your identity in other than God himself will come to an end. Whether you understand it or not, it will come to an end. And in the, in the complete end, when Jesus returns and restores this world the way that he originally designed it to be, when we'll, we'll once again truly get to walk in identity without the brokenness of our sin. Everything else you've placed your identity in will end. But now we get to live an abundant life, demonstrating that now and live a better life than, than, the, than anything else that, that we think is going to find us hope because it always ends in emptiness. Emptiness. And the good news of the spirit is that he changed us and he also enables us to walk in those things daily, even if they're hard. And even if if they become things that the rest of the world tells us, the rest of our culture says, what are you placing your identity in that for? Um, The good news is this is actually the truth of God because he is actually king and his words hold weight, not just in our culture, but for all eternity. And so I want to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you that um, that you have changed us. Father, we thank you that you have given us a new identity. Father, thank you that you have molded us back into the image of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray uh, for those of us that that is true of. Father, I pray that you would equip us. Father, I pray that you would give us more of your spirit to walk in the truth of the identity you've changed us to be. Father, I pray for those in this room and those... Uh, in our city and those in this world that don't yet know um, you as their identity. Father, I pray that you um, would call them to yourself, that you would change them, that you would equip us to to live as family, that you would equip us to serve, that you would equip us boldly to speak the truth um, that you are the one to find, find our hope in. So Father, I pray that you would change us today that you would change that you would call more people to yourself that you would um, expand your kingdom that you would adopt more kids into your family father we thank you that it is your work and that we get to partner with you in it and that we get to see you restore people in this world and as you um, as you restore us and father we we ultimately pray that you would return and that you would restore completely this world that you um, would, would make it back into the way that you originally designed it to be. And so, Father, we ask that you would return quickly and that you uh, would make us whole again. So, Father, we thank you that we get to live uh, in your image now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.